everybody and welcome to Love Unlocks. It is Tuesday, it is one o'clock and it's time for Love Unlocks. Thank you so much for everybody who is logging on. Welcome, welcome. Please tell us where you are logging on from, where you are listening and uh, we would love to hear that. It's always very cool to see people from all kinds of towns and cities all over South Africa, but also around the world. Uh, so please do that today. We have a very special guest. But before I get there, I just want to tell you quickly that we have some uh, exciting things coming up. My wife and I are currently busy with a marriage seminar online called Let's Talk Marriage. And uh, we are very passionate to see that marriages do well and flourish. You can still sign up for that. We're doing it for four more weeks on Thursday nights. So if you are new to Love Unlocks, this program is here because we are sharing stories of amazing people and how God's love has unlocked their lives and how He continues to unlock other people's lives through their lives or their ministry or however it may be. Some of them are famous, some of them are not so famous, some of you you've never heard of, but they've made an impact on my life and I think their stories must be heard. So this is a place where I get to talk to them and get those stories out and to you. And the whole idea is for you to be inspired, encouraged, and to have an encounter yourself with the amazing love of God and see how if He can unlock someone else's life, He can do the same for you. And it's brought to you by our ministry called Love Key. And at Love Key, we really believe that healthy families build a healthy nation. And a healthy family is built on Jesus. And we believe one of the biggest problems we face in this world is fatherlessness. And behind fatherlessness is normally the fact that there's no Jesus. So we preach Jesus, we preach father, fatherhood and family. And today's guest has the same passion. And that's why I'm so excited that he's joining us. Um, it's Cassie Carstens. He is an amazing man of God. He, uh, since I can remember in high school being a Christian, he was involved in youth actions, training leaders, all kinds of exciting stuff. And today I get to chat to him. So please welcome Cassie Carstens. Yay. <laughs> Great to be with you. <laughs> How are you, sir? How are I'm you fantastic. doing? Fantastic. It's Wonderful. a great time. You know, I've got so much time with my wife. I've always <laughs> been looking for that. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. I like that attitude. That's amazing. How, how have you guys been coping with the whole lockdown thing? You know, we, we scheduled to fly every month. So obviously we had to, to cancel all of those trips. I had to do 22 nations this year and uh, we've canceled 19 of them, one to go. Uh, sure. But it, it's been a fantastic time with God studying the Bible, praying more. Obviously, me and my wife, extremely busy in uh, training, um, Zoom trainings. Okay. So we do it almost every day uh, to some or other part of the, of the world. That's and amazing. So we've been very busy in, in training because people now, they, they want to know about family and they want to know about life. And, and that's, that's the key. You've do got you to understand life. Do you find that people are forced to ask questions they may not have asked before? Oh, for sure. Wow. Much more open to discuss life, believers and non-believers, much more open to discuss life, and much more receptive, I think, to what God may be whispering in their ears. Wow. So I think it's a great time. I like that. That's so good. Beautiful. Well, thank you for making time for us today. I really, I really appreciate it. Um, I, I remember 
The first time I, I remember you, remember hearing you speak was at uh, the Walfersaal in Hartenbos. <laughs> and uh, I remember you making a famous quote, which for a very long time I thought was your quote. But then I remembered, no, it was much older than that. But you said, we're living in the best of times. We're living in the worst of times. Yeah. And you had statistics of the very horrible things going on in the world and then a list of the very good things going on in the world. Yeah. And I just remembered being so impacted by that and by your ministry since then. Um, so I, back then I was, I think, 16 years old or 17 years old, just became a Christian. And uh, so it's a, it's a big privilege for me to, to talk to you today and, uh, and to, to hear your story and for you to share a bit of what's happening right now. Uh, but before we get to that, I, I, I always like to ask my guests a few questions about their family. So uh, can you please tell us how, how long have you and your wife been married and, and how did you guys meet? It, oh, uh, I'll, I'll keep it short. All lovely stories. <laughs> uh, we've been married now for 42 years. End of the year, it will be 43. Wow. Great years. Amazing. Uh, great years, the first uh, 32. Uh, but brilliant years, the last 10 years. The last 10 years, I say with great confidence, we have heaven at home. <clears throat> because something spe uh, specifically happened uh, 10 years ago. So great time with my wife, 42 plus years. And uh, how did we meet? <laughs> uh, when I was a second year at university, and this is all you're interested in if studies are not important to you too much. <laughs> so rugby and girls, obviously, second year. <laughs> varsity student yeah. and the first years they had to wear these placards uh, with their names and a photo of their girlfriends on it and 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 it had to be a two by three inches so a decent size photo and this guy had a very small one and i saw the small photo and i pulled the placard towards me and i said so so why is this photo so small and then when i saw that face i just knew i wanted to look into this face for the rest of my life wow and i and i said to him um you know uh, is it your girlfriend he said no i haven't got a girlfriend but i know this girl <laughs> and i said can you find her where she is he said she's at stellenbosch Next week, uh, she was one of the finalists of Miss Marty Land in Stellenbosch. Of course, wow. Newspaper. Nice. And, and then uh, a long story how I mustered the courage to approach this girl because of one sentence that she wrote in the paper, and that is she was interested in the Jesus People movement. Wow. And, um, and because of that, I had the courage to approach her. And after five minutes of talk to her, I phoned my dad and said I met my wife. Yeah, amazing. Short of it. <laughs> so were you guys both uh, Christians back then? Um, it sounds like it. Yeah, okay. she was the first. I, I, I believe in Jesus since I was uh, I, I, in my mother's womb, I think. Uh, <laughs> since I can't remember. <laughs> That's I amazing. Love, I just love Jesus. But in her case, she was the first Christian in the family. Oh, wow. And five uh, siblings, um, and, and she was the first one. And then after that, the rest followed. And they are all following Jesus now, with their children also following Jesus. So it's an amazing story. Sure. Love it. Can, uh, for those who don't know, can you give us a quick summary of what the Jesus movement was back then? Yeah, yeah, you know, the, the hippie times, the hippie era, Yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, people would, uh, you know, free love was a big thing, drug abuse, free sex and so on, you know, yeah. so it was a, it was a tough time um, when you talk about sexual morality, yeah. really a challenging time. 
I mean, I, I had to, uh, we, we had sometimes to reach out to people that publicly had sex in groups. Um, and, Whoa. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my at, word. At Stella Marsh. What? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carnival time. Carnival time was that time where we would get the drunk guys and Yo. feed them some coffee so that they could sober up and, and then leave the girls. But it was like crazy. Sure. So, um, so it was terrible and uh, really, really liberal, immoral, whatever mm. you want to call it. Uh, wow. Time. And, uh, but both of us followed Jesus and both of us did what we call street work, which is where you go to the streets of Cape Town in the middle of the night, you lead drug addicts and prostitutes to Jesus. And we loved those things. We still love it. We yeah. Love deep Amazing. As, as we call it. And, uh, and, and we loved it as, as, as young students as well. That is so, so powerful. For Jesus. Yeah. So beautiful. Wow. And, uh, you studied theology at Stellenbosch, correct? Right. Yeah. And initially, uh, you were a, a Duomini in the Dutch Reformed movement, I'm assuming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I finished that uh, 40 years of being a Dutch Reformed church pastor. Yeah. Uh, so I retired last year officially. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I know the church, but I, I definitely also know the work uh, parallel to the church because I had scarce the Sport for Christ action. Yes. So that, that was... A, fantastic opportunity to to reach out to other people through the gospel and not only in the local church beautiful and you guys have uh, an amazing family some great kids just look at that photo rich family uh, I, I would love to know um, what is the what is the first word that comes to mind for your wife and and for each of your children no well nowadays it's heaven at home and <laughs> it's, it's it's literally when you walk in into the door, you breathe uh, kingdom air, fresh air, mm. God's presence. Awesome. So uh, that's the first that comes to mind. But for us, I think as a family, uh, the word empowerment probably comes to mind um, mm. because we, when we selected our family values 40 years ago, my three-year-old daughter, uh, who is getting married by the end of the year, she suggested that we serve the poor children. And we never thought of that. We were never involved in ministry to the poor. Uh, never thought of reaching that way. We were evangelists, you could say, and we were involved in sport ministry. But the poor, you know, that was someone else's concern. Wow. Until my three-year-old daughter. Three-year-old. Wow. Yeah. Um, our family value must be serve the poor. Sure. And so the other three agreed with her which actually outvoted me and my wife then. <laughs> and then we wrote this as a family value. And then we started to plan uh, to have this as a value because something is not a value unless you give time and money for it. Sure. And um, so we, we started to plan for that. And that broadened out. This is what actually laid the foundation of us getting involved in a poor township called Kayamandi later on. Um, and then later on adopting an orphan from Kayamandi, for instance. So it started a whole new ministry for us. But that broadened out to not only serving the poor, but empowering the marginalized and other people as well. Mm. So my wife with the marginalized, me with leadership schools that we had, institutes that we had. And then the word empowerment became a key word for us. And so all of us are training. All of us. Also my adopted daughter, Amongile. And my biological children, we are all trainers. We train other people. Sure. And I discovered through the way 
I mean, that was an assignment from God, but I, I discovered that the more you train, the more you are shaped. Because you cannot say something without being challenged. They, you always have a person challenging you on whatever you said. Yeah. And that refines your own life. Because you've got to think of your own life and say, you know, am I authentic? Can, can I say this? Yeah. Uh, or not? And if you're not authentic, you better go to Jesus so that he can refine you. Yeah. And uh, so saying a great thing is one thing, but living that is another. Absolutely. If you're not thinking in what you say, what are you doing? You're trying to fool yourself, God, other people. It's no use trying to do that. So training has been a fantastic service or servant to our family over the years. That's beautiful. And, and I'm assuming, you know, to be a trainer, you are always in training yourself. Absolutely. And how do you, who, who trains the trainer, if I may ask? <laughs> yeah. Well, different things. It, the easy way out is to say God. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously it's God. So studying the word, and the word has never been more beautiful to me than now. Sure. So studying the word, spending time with God, that, that's, that's the most essential trainer, the Holy Spirit, God, by his word. Yeah. But then also, I think it's sometimes a cop-out for many. If you do not set yourself up that others can speak into your life, mm. then you're not shaped. Yeah. And so if, if other people do not train you, I'm sorry. And that's why we have a, a stringent uh, rule that if you are not mentored, you cannot mentor anyone. Wow. So me and my wife, we both have mentors and therefore people that we go to people and people that can say no to us. Because if you're in a leadership role, then you're in a very dangerous role. Of of uh, the, the 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 danger of pride is enormous yeah. when you're in the leadership role, yeah. and you you got to have people that can cut you to size. <laughs> and, and therefore, we have mentors. We have keep you humble. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The table of support, ten people that speak into our lives and that keep us uh, attentive to what God wants us to do. So good. Wow, I love that. You've obviously, when we when we could, <laughs> you travel quite extensively to do training around the world. You've, I'm sure, you've preached around the world. Um, I I get to travel quite a bit as well, and I know that things don't always go according to plan, and sometimes things happen on stage, or or you know, you you say a wrong word, or you're in a culture where a certain word is not acceptable, <laughs> whatever it might be. Can you recall a embarrassing moment or a funny story from your travels? abroad or even here in South Africa? Oh, embarrassing uh, comes first to mind. I think <laughs> in, 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 in America, California specifically, I found that what we, you know, coming from a Dutch background, you could say, or Dutch-German, yeah. from my mother's side, it's Dutch, from my father's side, it's German. Um, we are straight shooter, shooters, you know, so we, when we want to say something, we we don't, you know, put yeah. the frills on it. We just say it for what it is. Call a spade a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and uh, in America, uh, you're not extremely popular when you preach like that. Okay. You know, so in America, I sometimes have the feeling I got I to gotta make the word of God much nicer than it is. <laughs> And sugarcoated, as they say. I hear and, you, I hear you, yeah. And I hate to sugarcoat the Word of God. I, sure. I feel that God will be offended if I sugarcoat this Word. And so, so embarrassing that people say to you, oh, you're very challenging. And, and, and you come from that and you said, 
that was the nicest way I could ever preach that passage in the Bible. <laughs> and, then, and then you come from the pulpit and they say, you're always so challenging. Yeah. And you want to say to them, I, I, did I offend you? I felt I offended God by sugarcoating his word already. Wow. Sure. And now you feel it's challenging. I just sure. can't understand it. Yeah. So that, that's most of the time it's that challenging thing. Yeah. People call me a challenger or something like this, which I, I always feel that I'm too scared to be a great challenger. I, I'm far from, from uh, carrying the fear of God as I should carry the fear of God. And it's something that I want to embrace. And I'm asking God that I will embrace it much more. Mm. But the moment that you really embrace the fear of God as an essential, important thing in your spiritual growth, then, then people, uh, they shy away. How would you define, since we're on that great subject, how would you define the fear of God? What does it feel like or how, how, how does it, uh, what does it look like when someone has that on their lives? Um, it's a, a consciousness, I believe, of the, the uh, omnipotence, the, 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 the magnitude, the, you know, the majesty. Maybe mm. that's the word. It's a consciousness of the majesty of God. Sure. And I think what we have done is because we're in need of a friend. That's why we're in the, in the generation or last few generations. I need a friend. I need a friend. Friend, 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 friend. Um, uh, so we want God to be a friend. Now, it's good to have God as a friend because he is a friend. He is Emmanuel God with us as yeah. a friend. And he called us his friends and so on. But to only have him as a friend, I think you shortchange yourself. Uh, because you, you, to have the majestic God as your friend is a whole different concept. Uh, because you you walk out of your room in the morning and thinking, oh my word. I mean, this majestic God is my friend. That's a whole different approach to life. And, and that is how I wake up every morning. I wake up every morning thinking, this majestic God that created the universe of which the planet Earth is a speck. Uh, he is my father. Mm. I mean, that lifts you to a whole new level yeah. of excitement, uh, or, or, or some excitement, you know. Sure. And, and I want to live in the awe of God every single moment of my life. Sure. And, and I hope that I've embraced some of that. I need to embrace much more. What is your, at the stage of life that you're at, still going strong, having so, so much passion? Uh, I think I know what the answer is, but I would love to just ask you straight up, what is, what is your life dream that you still want to achieve? You, you know, it, it, it's, it's fascinating. I think I can cut my life in two halves. So it's before halftime, after halftime. So mm. first 45 years. And then actually at 43, I struck half time and then prepared myself for two years. And then I started with the first leadership institute or leadership school, as they call it in America. So, so I started the first school and then later on the second one. So the first one was, you know, learning things and, and ministering to people and so on. The second half was empowering others to minister. Mm. And so you get off the stage more and you put other people on the stage. So you create opportunities for other people. Wow. Now that has become totally consuming for me. I wake up in the morning thinking 
of how to create opportunities for others. Sure. Now, some people even find me challenging in that and they yeah. try to avoid me because the moment that I meet you, I'm thinking, like in your case as well, I'm, <laughs> thinking, I'm thinking of how can I set this guy up for the kingdom in a better way? How can this guy's influence in the kingdom enlarge? Yeah. And that's, that's completely consuming in my life. I think of other people all the time and how I can create space for them to build the kingdom of God. Uh, so, and so now, the second half, you can also divide in two. The first one is training and the second one is mentoring. So I'm, I'm now in the mentoring phase. Yeah. Before I go to the finishing well phase. <laughs> but, and mentoring means I spend more time with individuals. Yes. To help them uh, to do what God has called them to do. So dreaming, dreams for myself, no dreams for myself. Dreams for other people, enormous uh, amount of dreams for other people. I'm still dreaming of the day that 200,000 men will be trained in every nation of the world yeah. every year. Wow. Probably. And so that's kind of the big picture dream. Why 200,000? Because you cannot change culture unless you have a critical mass. Yeah. I think in most countries that will bring the critical mass in a nation to turn it from apathetic fathering to, to fathers that really make a difference and families really making a difference in this world. That's so good. It's interesting that the thing that people pointed out in the States was that you are so challenging. I recently started reading uh, a book by Billy Graham and I've been listening to some of his teachings and he's a very challenging preacher and he was very well known maybe not so much in california <laughs> maybe that's why but but he did he also called a, a spade a spade and was very he didn't want to water the word word of god down and i, I think we're i think we live in times where that's much more needed and because i would look at the 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 general trend I would, which also is, a, I think, a, probably a wrong word, but you see trends in the yeah. charismatic church world yeah. that, that you hear and see and you think, wow, that's, it's entertaining or it's, it's nice, it's wow, but it's, there's not always a correlation to the Word of God. And yeah. what you see a lot is experience yeah. that people have, but not so much the, the changed life. Yeah. Uh, would you agree with that? Is there a... Is there a watering down of the Word of God in a way that makes us not actually change our lives, but just plod along as we were in a way? Yeah, let me, maybe the best explanation will be the following. The first time that I did training in China, uh, we had from a group of 80 people, about 60 pastors. Mm. And they are from the, the home church, as they call it. So very, very committed disciples of Jesus. Actually, example for the rest of the world. And after the training, at the third day of the trainings, uh, one pastor put up his hand and, and then they reflected on what the training uh, helped them with. And then he said, I got converted in the training. Sure. So I was completely shocked. Wow. And I said, I never had an evangelistic message. Um, the, whole, the whole thing is just Bible and how to live the Bible in yeah. daily life. Yeah. And then the rest put up their hands as well. And all of them said, we all got converted in the training. Sure. And I said back, I said, guys, now you've got to explain to me, because I look up to you as the most devoted people that I know of on planet Earth, and you say that this training has converted you. Yeah, the Chinese underground church has this name. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and, and, and then they said the following, and man, it shocked me. They said, remember, we are first generation Christians. 
which means our fathers were not Christians, which means that they, whoever shared the gospel with us, talked about the gospel, but not how to live Jesus. Yeah. So we believe in Jesus, but no one has shown us how to live Jesus. Sure. Wow. And this is the conversion. Not to believing in Jesus, but to the life of Jesus. Mm. So and, good. And suddenly I walked out there and I thought, I think that's the problem. Because in South Africa, particularly, I mean, we, the majority believed in Jesus. But the majority, for sure, did not love Jesus. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's the bad legacy of apartheid. Yes. That we did not love Jesus. Um, uh, so the, so to how to live the Bible, that's the key. And, and, and so my, I don't test my, my spiritual temperature by how deeply I believe. I test it, but how do I walk the walk of faith? That's it. Mm. Uh, and that's why my interest has always been, how do you live Jesus outside the four walls of the church? Not yeah. inside. Yeah, inside, yeah. we can praise him, we can be, look as holy as we want to. But it actually counts from Monday to Saturday. Sure. And not that in the four walls time. You, you mentioned that you think you were... Uh, a, a Christian from the womb. <laughs> I was I was going to ask you uh, how how did you meet Jesus? But it seems like you're just always aware of him. Um, but I'm, so then maybe I can ask you this: wh What was the first big when you had you know matured intellectually and spiritually? I'm sure there was a moment where you realized I'm called. Um, yeah. For, for ministry. Can you tell us about that? How did that come about? You know, I used to say, to take it from the beginning, you know, 13 years old, I can remember, you know, the camps that we did and gave your life to Jesus. I started to lead other friends to Jesus at 13 years old and wow. so on. And this is after having had, a, a you know, a, a walk with God for, for many years. Okay. But, but And then you can take it almost camp after camp or... <laughs> 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 youth youth conference of the youth conference on and 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 you go like this and 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 then I could mention encounters with God, so I'd rather call it encounters with God, and I had significant encounters with God that I can single out, so if you ask me what was the real moment of conversion, I've got no idea okay, I think ten years ago was probably the deepest one. And at that stage, I've been a pastor for 30 years already. Um, and, but you knew me before that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So my, with the death of our first child was uh, the most traumatic encounter with God, I sure. can say. And then the death of the second child one year later, mm -hmm. more traumatic. Because sure. now you walk with God. But at the, uh, at the grave of my first child, I said to, the, uh, I said to God, I understand the difference between having you as number one and having you as all of my life. Mm. So now I, to, number one is not good enough. <laughs> you want to be all of life. Sure. And I surrender my life now all to you, to all of you. Wow. <laughs> and, and so that was a, a very poignant moment, obviously. Sorry, can but, I just ask in that, that's, that's quite a significant statement because many people going through that kind of trauma will actually turn their backs on God. Yeah. Can you maybe just share a little bit about what got you to the point of instead of getting bitter against Him and turning against Him to go in more fully yeah. into that? 
Now I must share both. Because the first one, and I can't ascribe it to anything but the grace of God. The first one, I felt emotionally that God was in, uh, in the situation with us. Mm. So he did not leave us. The okay. second one was different. Sure. So now I'm following God with every ounce of my energy, my thoughts, my everything. Uh, and, and one year later, just before my wife had to give birth to the second child, the doctor said that your child died and she had to give birth to a dead child. Mm. Uh, that was seriously traumatic. Yeah. And now in retrospect, um, that, that was a moment that I, I moved very close to denying my faith in God. <laughs> okay. Extremely close. Wow. I, I just knew I was on the edge. Mm. This, is, this is the final choice. This is the final decision. Sure. And, uh, and I remember, by God's grace, I mustered the faith courage, if you wish, to say to God, because this was his question, and it happened at a specific place in the hospital, that he said to me, are you willing to follow me if I take away 50 of your children? And if you have no children at all forever, will you still follow me? Sure. And now that's not a cheap, easy answer on that one. No. Yeah. And I don't know why I said this, but this is what I said. I said, come sunshine or rain, I will follow you as a dog follows his master, whether he gets food or not. Mm. Because I have no other way to go. Wow. I cannot follow myself. I don't trust myself. <laughs> I know of no other God that makes more sense to life than you. I have to follow you sure. wherever you take me. And there I learned what Hebrew chapter 11 verse 1 says, that when things do not make logical sense, when it doesn't add up, that you still then have faith. And, and that faith is not seeing and therefore going for what you see. Faith yeah. is when you do not see and you jump into this darkness because you believe he will catch you. He is the one. Mm. There is no one else to catch you. Yeah. Jump. And that was a, a jump of faith. Uh, but very significant. Very significant for my ministry after that. But then when you, as you walk with God then, um, then, then, then I had more encounters with God. I had supernatural encounters that I almost don't want to, don't want to talk about because it's, it's just frightening. Um, sure. And it's not in my theological framework <laughs> that I was taught to adopt, and um, and 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 that was. It, but it turned out to be absolutely brilliant later on, and 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 then you had um, uh, challenging, uh, you know, refugee camps that changed my life. Uh, Kaya Mandi changed my life, and then ten years ago, a message of a person changed my life forever. Well, so, let, let's. Yeah, you've referred can I, to... Can I just say this, Heinz? Yes, please. Now, if someone says to me, so who are Christians? Then I never say, never say, Christian is someone that gave his life to Jesus. I never say this. A Christian is someone who lives in Jesus and Jesus lives in him. Mm. Now, both of that state, those statements are enormous. And yeah. The book of John, uh, the letters of John at the end, um, you know, defines that more to us. If you love like Jesus, you are born of him and you know him, is what the definition of a Christian is according to the letter of John. One yeah. John four. So now I say, it, if you love like Jesus, if you live in Jesus and Jesus in you, so it's a continuous thing. It's a, it's a process 
of sanctification yeah. with Jesus. And those people that are in that process, they can say with confidence, and this is also the word that is used by John, then you can say with confidence in the day of judgment that you are a child of God. Mm. That is, uh, that's encouraging and challenging at the same time. Yeah. To, and we all need to ask ourselves that question. And I think that's why Paul said we need to work out our salvation with fear that's and trembling. I you like know, that. Where are, where are we in, in terms of that? That's yeah. powerful. You keep referring back to 10 years ago, the big thing that happened. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you sent me the, the video where you taught a message about what you realized, um, the real meaning of love. And how uh, is it? Is that the moment that sparked the movement of the world needs a father as well? Uh, yes, uh, for sure. But because what happened was so. Yeah, please tell us. Please tell us that that revelation, and then how how you got into world needs a father as well. I mean, the roots of the world needs a father come from a refugee camp in two thousand and two, where I was exposed to fatherlessness in Africa, where rebel forces literally dismembered people, and they would cut off their arms sure. and their stuff like this. And I talked to these people that lost their family members like that. And, and, and that in that hut in Nyarangusu refugee camp, this is where God said to me, the biggest problem of the world is fatherlessness, and you have to do something about it. So what I did walking out of there is I trained coaches how to be fathers for soccer and other sport coaches. Yeah, I remember you saying uh, in your one training video that you knew nothing about soccer. Why did God give you soccer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please, please, ta- please repeat what, what God said to you in that moment because I think yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, because I, I, I was in this hut and so outside about 300 of these boys, about six years old, and every 30th boy with a soccer ball that they make from plastic bags yeah. under their arm. And God said, look, look, that's the problem. They are fatherless. Uh, so create fathers through training soccer coaches to be their father. Yeah. And do it through soccer. And was clear. The assignment was so clear. Sure. And uh, having been the chaplain of the national rugby team of South Africa, I knew rugby. And I was a rugby player myself. <laughs> so I said, Lord, can we do it through rugby? He said, no, soccer. <laughs> rugby won't work in Africa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the point. Uh, rugby won't work in Africa. And, and, and so I complained. I, I said everything, all the excuses. I'm white. I'm, I'm a Dutch Reformed pastor. They don't <laughs> dabble with sport too much, you know. I, I'm getting older, you know, all the excuses that you can have. And, sure. and God, literally, I felt it. But he grabbed me by the chest and kind of punched me and said, do you want to change the world on your agenda or my agenda? Sure. That's so and, good. And that moment shook my life. Such a I, good I question. I had to think, and therefore a church also. I had to change everything I think about church. Mm. Are we on God's agenda or our agenda? So are good. Are we there in the church to please each other? Yeah. Or are we there on God's agenda? And what is God's agenda? Because God's agenda changes in the seasons. Yeah. So uh, now that we have stuff like Black Lives Matter, now we can argue this is not a big one in South Africa, but it's a massive one in the world. Yeah. That's God's agenda now. Now, whether you like it or not, you don't write the agenda of God. <laughs> You don't write the kingdom agenda. Fatherlessness, if you like to get engaged or not, is not the con- that's not the issue. The issue is, is this God's concern now? Yeah. And, and, and I think too many churches and individuals try and do their Christian life and, Christ- and church life on their own agenda. They're not on God's agenda. Sure. Uh, and, and that's why if you talk to them, so what do you pray about? What do you do at the church and so on? You don't just feel that it comes from the heart of God. 
because it does not come from that encounter of God that God says to you, this is what is important, you better do this. Yeah. So it was a, it's a harsh assignment. Sure. So I had to get people to teach me soccer. And, and then <laughs> I discovered that often God uses a, a imbecile, I want to call it, <laughs> because I, I, I want to use the worst word that I can use for myself. Uh, a guy that knows nothing, a useless guy, because I had no reference point, so I had a clean, clean slate, yeah. and God showed me something in soccer that other people that are involved in soccer couldn't see how you can use the skills of soccer to rewrite it related to values, and then you have the values you use to train people on life. Wow. And the bridge for what we did. So good. So that was there. Then Abungile came to us and started, uh, came to live with us and became our daughter. And that was another thing, piece of the puzzle. And then Satan tried to kill my wife and my son and almost succeeded in a span of three weeks. What? So my son uh, ended up in a riot where they stoned the car and, and sure. he got hit with half bricks. And he was so close to death. Yeah. And, and then my wife in a four-hour four operation um, that they had to cut seven foot from her intestines, small oh. intestines, and to save a life. My and, goodness. And that happened. And, and suddenly, and, and I, you, you, you could argue I, I knew death <laughs> before. Yeah. But suddenly you, you walk in the presence of death and you say, God, obviously, firstly, you say, what's wrong with me? And then after that, God, what, what is happening here? Yeah. What is happening here? Yeah. And then as I'm walking with this question, I had the opportunity to train on fatherlessness. And as I did this training, God showed me in a vision while I was training. He showed me hell and that at the bottom of hell, the strongest stronghold of Satan fatherlessness. And, and it was clear the message. If you attack Satan's strongest stronghold, he will attack you. Sure. And then God said to me, do you sign up for this war? Mm. So irrespective, if you die, if others die, do you sign up for war? Yeah. So again, that was a serious encounter with God. Wow. And I just uh, decided there's no other war I want to fight. Mm. So let's sign up for this war. And so that was that. Uh, but then, still, now I'm preparing to write something about this and do something about this. And yeah. I signed but I did not know that I was missing the real key. And then to cut a long story short, I'm sitting in a training of Norm Wakefield that wrote the book Equipped to Love in Paul. And, and he told a three-minute story of his fourth child that was born. And he thanked God for that. And then the doctor came back and said, your child is Down syndrome. And then God said to him, will you thank me for this too? Mm. Will you Thank you, God, the best gift you've ever given me. Just as you said in your prayer, before you knew that she was Down syndrome. Can you repeat the prayer, please? Mm. Thank you, God, it's the best gift you've ever given me. It is perfect. I love the baby. She is beautiful. Mm. Say the same prayer now. And he could not pray. Sure. And then God said to him, you're an ugly man because you don't love your baby. Sure. Because you love your expectations for your baby. Now she's not meeting up with the expectations. So you don't love her. You don't know what love is. And you don't love your wife. You don't lo love anyone. And as he was talking, I just surrendered. I said, Lord, guilty as charged. Mm. I don't know what love is. Yeah. I love my wife with expectational love. And exchange love. I give to get. 
not with selfless love. Mm. Selfless love means you've got no expectation. You never come home expecting food. You never go to bed expecting sex. Your wife is completely free <laughs> to do or not to do <laughs> whatever she wants to. And you love one way, one way only. Love, the only pure love God told me is the love that gives without expectation to get. And that God has no expectation of us. He's got, he's got intention. Now, intention and expectation is a completely different thing. Yeah. Intention is for what you can become. It's for you. So that the father has for a disabled child, intention that the disabled child will become the best the disabled child can become. And this is how I now feel God loves me. Fortunately, that sure. he's not expecting anything. But he has a dream in Christ for me. And he wants me to become that. And he loves me for that. And he dies for that. And in any case, so it, I cried for a one full week with my wife because I... I Confessed, I said, I never loved you. I never knew what love was. Mm. And I also added, I said, the bad thing is, I don't have any love. And I can never have any love. Because I'm not the source of love. Because God is love. Mm. And they never told me that. Yeah. I read it in the Bible. But they never explained it to me. Sure. They should have differentiated. They should have called the other stuff that we call love. They should call it self-love for what it is. Yeah. But they never called it that. Wow. And this goal, only one love is pure God love. And that's that selfless, sacrificial love. Why, after nine years of theological training, they did not train me in that. Mm. And it was completely life-changing. And that day, from that day, I come home never expecting anything. So everything is a surprise. My wife brings food. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I, you know, so everything is an absolute surprise and a joy. And that's that amazing. And that's amazing. But that, that's such a, I mean, we, we throw around the word love so much and we have very, most people are very much influenced by what the world tells us love is. And we've, we've, we use that word for, I love ice cream to, you know, I love this experience. And, and the word has really lost its meaning. And it's partly why our ministry is called Love Key and why this thing is called Love Unlocks is to, to challenge us all to, to rethink what love actually is and what it means. And, and, and I think one of the biggest things that we hear in the church and outside of the church is that thing of, well, if God is love, why does he allow certain things? Or why does the world look the way it does? And, and that even shows how, what a misconception we have of him and what love really is. Um, can you just elaborate a little bit on what that love is and what it should look like in our lives? You you spoke about, uh, expectational love and transactional love, which is the kind that is selfish. And then there's the selfless love that God brings. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because I think for, for many of us, that is, that is new to, to hear that and challenging. Yeah. Now, when you say that, when my, my heart cringes, I, for many of us, it is new. How can we say that? But I, I think you're right. But how can we dare, if we've been to church all our life, if we uh, pride ourselves in having good theology, yeah. how, can we, how can we make that confession, I actually want to say, because it's actually a confession. Yeah. And, and that, that is the terrible thing. Yes. But the thing is, we seriously have to unpack love 
in a new way to people. Mm. Uh, just a question. If God is good and love, how can this... Obviously, just the question itself reveals our expectation of God. If He does yes. not see yes. my understanding of what a God is supposed to be, He is not a God. I there mean, you go. How ridiculous is that? So good. So, so actually now I've studied the last month, I've studied the book of Revelations. And the big thing in the book of Revelations, the book of Revelations is God brings the plague. Go and read it again. Don't skip that page. God brought the plagues. And in the book of Revelations, I saw one thing that I've never seen so clear before ever in my life, and that is the sovereignty of God. Mm. And, and my wife reminded me the other day, remember the Jews always say, he gives and takes away? We have that song too. I, I, I never really dared to sing that song with confidence. It's from he Job, gives, right? Yeah, or Habakkuk. Uh. He gives and takes away. And, and, and Job, yeah, Job as well, obviously, same, same thing. Um, gives and takes away. So, so if, 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 if the Jews say this all the time, then they understand if, if God is the creator, he can take whatever is created at any time without explaining this to anyone. Sure. So earthly death to us is terrible. And I have been confronted in my life with that all the time. My, my mother got cancer when I was 12 years old. Mm. She survived that. My wife got cancer five years ago. She survived it. So amidst all the deaths that we had to encounter and the challenges, so we understand that, but no one is explaining that God is okay. He's, he's not so concerned about the earthly death. He is seriously concerned about the, the eternal, eternal death. death yeah. uh, we are very concerned about the earthly death. Um, and, and therefore God, God did not cry too much when my first two babies died. Uh, they are with him, and they are secure. Sure. And they are fantastic. We cried. Yeah, <laughs> of lot. course. You understand? So for us as human beings, it's seriously difficult to understand this. But, and this is it, that God loves us to spend eternity with us. Yeah. So a love that is so focused on the end result, that's intentional love. Yeah. And for that, he paid the ultimate price the highest price that he could ever imagine to pay for us. Mm. This is so ridiculous. Now, let me, let me connect two things. <clears throat> I honestly, when, when I think of God, I think of the one that just comes from his laboratory after he has created 10 more galaxies of stars. And as a matter of fact, <laughs> these things increase all the time. <laughs> so uh, uh, the, 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 the guys that know, they say. So, and, and then he comes and he says... You know, I've worked hard here and so on. But, but you know what, Cassie, I'm going to spend eternity with you. Yeah, wow. Sure. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we compare elephant and ant. This is not a comparison. Yeah. When you want to use it as a metaphor, you want to spend it with me. Why would an elephant spend eternity with an ant? And, and it's, it's much worse than this. Yeah. So, so this is the one thing. But then, then he says, and for, for that... For that eternity with you, I paid the ultimate price. Yeah. Now, if that is in the heart of God, that he stoops so low, he's a descending God, he stoops so low just to reach me for eternity, and he pays everything that you can imagine just to get me to be with him for eternity. Yeah. Enormous. If I can have one sliver of that love in me, then if my wife, if I have to bend a little bit to my wife, mm. 
if my wife is unreasonable and I have to bend a little, just one, two notches, it's not at all in comparison with God. Yeah. But just sacrifice a little bit, a little bit to bend towards her. And I don't find it in myself. Who am I? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, so, uh, yeah. So I think we have so much to learn. I've started to learn. I've got a 10-year journey of learning of how to bend down. And therefore, I understand a little bit better now if God says, love your enemy. Yeah. My wife has never been an enemy, actually. Now, she's way too good for that. But, but my test is not my wife. She's yeah. a bad test. I can tell her God should have given me a much worse woman to really <laughs> test my just makes, makes it easy for us. But, but if, if my, my test is my enemy, the, the one that I really do not want to love. Yeah. The one I do not want to serve at all. You struggle to, test. yeah. Because that shows how pure or impure my love is. Yeah. It's by my enemy that the impurity of my love is actually exposed. Sure. And how, how do we love like God? How do we get to that point where we do that? Uh, we must get to the point of selflessness. Now, uh, you know, uh, the one book I still want to write is My Fight Against Pride. Mm. Uh, um, God has had a hard time to just kill the pride in me, and he's still working on it. Uh, <laughs> uh, by the sweat of his brow, I want to say. <laughs> but, so it's a, it takes him a really serious effort. But so if I can get to the point that I'm just not thinking of myself, I'm, I'm always concerned with others, um, then it will be easier to love. I think the self-concern, the waking up in the morning and trying to find comfort, try, trying for, to find what pleases you, uh, you know, that, that, is a, that is a problem. Yeah. Uh, if we can train ourselves to not think of ourselves, uh, Andrew Murray writes beautifully on it too. So, so um, humility is not a posture. It's not, uh, uh, you know, an external, you know, exhibition of humbleness or whatever it is. Humility is a selflessness. Yeah. Where, where the concern of others, where the needs of others completely occupy myself. So, when, if I must test myself, if I run through a day and I find at the end of the day I've just completely forgotten to think about myself and I've thought about other people uh, all the time, then I feel maybe today I was closer to being a humble person than yesterday. Sure. Uh, but you see, our reasoning for love is completely the opposite. We yeah. say we have to love ourselves first before we can love others. That's a psychological concept. It's not a biblical concept. And I want to argue with any theologian on this. Uh, the, the, and we've and we got to take and we've got to really unravel this from the Bible. And then we would love to argue on this. But, but no, Mother Therese would answer this very simply by saying, do you want to love yourself? Go and love your dying brother and you will love yourself. Sure. Don't turn this around and say, you've got to love yourself first before you can love your dying brother. Love your dying brother. And then you will love yourself. It will come as an automatic byproduct of loving others. And wow. I think that what that is what Jesus came to demonstrate. Yeah. They said to the cross, you know, save yourself and then us. And he denied that uh, because he loved us first. Wow. And with that, you could argue he loved himself too as a byproduct. I don't know what you can argue there, but 
but so that selflessness is is the one to reach to and the care of life how can i really get rid of this enemy of god's dream for me called kasikarsis in flesh he's my biggest enemy sure what I, what i'm hearing and i think this is something that's important for us to also realize i mean it's all over scripture but i think it's the same with love maybe we read it but we don't really get it is what i'm hearing from what you're saying is just getting saved converted doesn't automatically make you humble and love the way jesus loves yeah. that is just step number one yeah correct for sure so That's there's a process no one will see god yeah and so so that that is an important step that needs to be taken. And I think that's, that's why mentoring and discipleship is so important. I know for me, I, I got saved when I was 16 uh, in, the, in the Dutch Reformed uh, setting, but I never was mentored and discipled. I had this hunger and I had a thirst for God's word and I was trying to find you know, as much information and training as I could, but I, 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 I became stuck in my journey. And certain things, certain habits just didn't break. Uh, and I realized that, you know, I just kept fe feeling guilty. Uh, and only once I was in a discipleship relationship with someone that loved me enough to, to say no <laughs> and to challenge me and to speak into my life did those things start to change. And then my character started to change. My, my habits and my actions started to change. Yeah. And that's what I'm hearing from, from what you're saying is that that, that thought or that th change of thinking needs to happen continuously. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and just about two weeks ago, I again, after studying Revelations, I fell on my knees actually with my wife and I said, Jenny, am I one of the 144,000 sealed that we read about? Uh, will I reach heaven, Jen? Will I reach heaven? Now, people can argue and say, okay, so this guy does not have, um, uh, he does not believe that he's a Christian. I think I've learned in South Africa it's more dangerous to believe that you're a Christian while you're not than to second-guess your walk with God. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's an ongoing when thing. I, yeah. When I second-guess my, my, my salvation, I jump into his arms. I just run to him and say, whatever the condition is, you know, I don't know. You know how saved I am or not saved I am. I just want to, to jump again in faith and save me again. <laughs> you save me again. Or save me now. For, but, but just don't stop to save me. Yeah. There'll be, many, saving me. there'll be many people that argue with that. Uh, I think a lot of people believe once saved, always saved. Well, a very dangerous statement. One of the most dangerous statements ever. What do you think because, of that? Well, if you stay in the Word, you will never use that argument. If you use one or two little verses, you can use that argument. But if you stay in the Word, because in the, again, back to the book of Revelations, the book of Revelations makes you so uncomfortable. Mm. I mean, it starts with God sending the Spirit and saying, say to the church. Yeah. And then um, of the seven of them, uh, five of them, you've got to repent and convert. You know, what does that say? Yeah. So and these are churches. These are churches. Yeah. These are these are the this is the bride of Christ. This is this is not just churches. It's the bride of Christ. Sure. So so that washing over and over being washed by the blood of Christ, and and therefore um, I read beautiful things. Um, 
Tozer that wrote that that the more you desire uh, to to repent and to and to be saved by God, the more that is evidence of your salvation. Yeah. So the deepening of that desire to repent and that desire to surrender and surrender again and continuously every day surrender more, that is probably the most secure sign of your salvation. But not this once saved, forever saved. Yeah. Sorry. No, I, I stand in agreement, uh, you know, and I know <laughs> there'll be emails, but I, I totally, I, I think that's important. And there's enough scripture to support that uh, at the end of James it's it's there's an instruction that says if you if a brother uh, strays from the way and you go and save him you've yeah. saved him from from utter destruction yeah so there's a there's a real consequence to to losing the way and that's why I, I think for me it comes back to your earlier statement as well about how important it is to have the fear of God in yeah. in a healthy way every day yeah. I, I would love to, to oh, just, just, see yeah. Uh, the word healthy does not fit there. Okay. Challenge me. Challenge me. Now, the word right okay. fits better than healthy. All right. Healthy is soothing. Can you, can you feel it? Yeah. Okay. Right, right is not soothing. All right. Thank you. But That's this good. Is, Einstein, this is the nice thing. This is what I like about you as well. That is, this is discipleship. Yeah. Discipleship. Is because we're all struggling, is that right? We're all struggling. So, so, so the only thing we want to caution each other, that we not, because of whatever reason, self-protection, blah, 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 that, we, that we're smoothing off certain things, taking the sharp edges off, uh, because we want to be, listen to this, theologically acceptable to the broader spectrum of people. That's mm. dangerous. Very. That's so sure. dangerous. Yeah. So we, our fear of God must supersede our fear of man, man, theologians, friends, uh, general popular, you know, popular popularity people, sure. in general, all of that. Yeah. Wow, that's that's so good. Thank you. I would love to get to uh, the world needs a father. It's a, I, I once said it's an organization. You corrected me and said, no, it's a movement. Uh, it's in, from what I understand, over, in over 19 nations. Uh, please tell us more of, of what, what is the World Needs a Father? Why are you using this as a training platform? And, and how has it already impacted the world? Yeah, our main focus is to train trainers how to train other trainers who can train fathers. So it's a discipleship uh, endeavor. Uh, which means that we want to work into your four generations because that is where discipleship becomes really effective, where you have pushing and pulling. And so, so those two books actually that we've written, the one Fishing for the Village, which is a discipleship book, and actually tells our story of the last seven, eight years uh, with my disciples. So my son and, and myself wrote that book. And the other one is also a discipling, but discipling starting at home. So the world needs a father means... Uh, God the Father, obviously first, needs to come home. Mm. And he needs to come home through his authority that is channeled by the Father. Um, and so the Father establishes moral authority, God's authority. What is right at the right time for the right reason? God's authority in the house. And he carries that into the house with four specific responsibilities as, as the Father with Jesus. 
So it's moral authority, it's identity, it's emotional security, that love, the, the right love, and, and then affirmation. So sure. four, four specific things that we train. So we train trainers to train other trainers so that we can have this movement, this rolling impact. So good. Uh, and, and now, yes, it's running in 101 nations now, uh, wow. but hopefully we'll get to all the 200 plus nations, 256. But th that's not the thing. It's not, it's not to, to, to get a good score out there. Yeah, it's yeah. To, it is, it's, uh, we must stop thinking that church starts outside in a building and then we work towards the home. Home is church. Sure. So, so we got to refine the local church by refining the home church first. Wow. And if we refine That's the good. home church first, then the local church will be refined. Amen. And will become that powerhouse that can change the world. So good. If we do it the other way and we think that the, the local church must refine the home and then they will become those carriers of being salt and light. Then the next question is, how well did we succeed in that? Yeah. And if the church is not even succeeding in changing the home, how could it ever change the world? Yeah. And, and we want to say, no, the first test of a church, if they are impactful as salt and light of the world, is to see their impact in the homes of their members. And if that can change homes, then possibly they can change the world. If you can't change homes, don't even say anything about changing the world. You're trying to fool someone. Wow, that's yeah. powerful. So the, this movement is to give everyone in his hand all the material free of charge and to say, take it and run and train others, please. So we hope that this will have a rolling impact. Do you have any idea how many trainers have been trained so far? I'm just curious. No, I <laughs> no idea. We, we know that, for instance, I personally train 2,400 trainers in one country, Sri Lanka, for instance. Sure. Trainers, not, not fathers, trainers. So yeah. that nation, I know they have more than uh, 2,000 trainers. Now, the other day, I got a phone call from Ecuador, and there we trained uh, just 250 ourselves. And then they said to me, we had 500 trainers uh, before COVID, but since COVID, we've trained another 600. So we have 1,100 trainers in Ecuador, one nation. So yeah, amazing. Uh, I came to China and the guy in China said to me, uh, last year we trained 40,000 trainers in, in China. So oh, wow. I, I have no idea. Um, but that's not the point. No, no, I get it. Uh, but it's so Whatever the number is, say we say, we guess, say millions, whatever the number is, you always, when you fight the kingdom war, um, you, you, the, the, the attack must have the velocity of the challenge. Mm. So the intensity of what we do is determined by the intensity of the opposition. Sure. And all churches should think like that. It's what is the intensity of the opposition? And why do I say that? Because in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, it says, run as to win. You, and, and it's written in the missions context. That chapter is about missions. Run as to win. So, so my, the intensity of whatever I do is determined by my opposition. If I beat you this year, if you beat me this year in the 100 meters, and I train 10 times as hard next year, am I going to beat you? The answer to that is not necessarily, because you can train as well. Yeah. So the opposition will determine whether I beat you or not. So can you see what that does to our prayer life? Because Satan is alive and well and successful. So we better up our intensity 
of kingdom work to next levels, determined by our opposition. And I can tell you that the opposition is doing well. Sure. I remember you telling me an amazing story of being at the oldest university in the world in an Arab nation, getting to teach these principles in a way that was even accepted by someone from another faith, the Muslims. Yeah. Can you uh, just briefly tell that story again? I thought it was quite amazing. Are you allowed yeah. to tell that story? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We will we'll keep the names out of the story, but then right. we'll, we'll say this, that uh, God has, has given us great favor amongst uh, Muslims in, in Cairo specifically, where I go regularly. And, and we've done uh, more than one. We've done quite a number of times. And uh, they are very receptive to, to what we have to offer. So good. And, and, and this, is, this is important that Christians would understand this. And this, whether, whatever the other faith is, that, it, it is uh, that, that we would understand, if we honestly believe that Jesus Christ has brought the answer to life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, then we better bring life to other people. Yeah. Uh, and, and I honestly believe that I never knew exactly the uniqueness of the life in Christ until I discovered the uniqueness of his love. Mm. That is simply the uniqueness of the life in Christ. Obviously, his death on the cross and the resurrection, the salvation is, is unique and, and, and fantastic. But when, but when we come to morality, when we come to life itself, the uniqueness lies in the uniqueness of selfless sacrificial love. And when that is offered to whoever in this world, they just say, well, this is pretty unique and I can see how this can make a difference. And that becomes really appealing to everyone. Mm. And, but but and this, is, this is the pain in my life is we did not offer that message to people, not in South Africa. Yeah. I mean, we struggle in South Africa to, 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 to love our enemies or our neighbors, never mind our enemies. Yeah. So, um, so we did not carry that message. So we were really not great lights in the world sure. in carrying that message. Yeah. That is the light. The light is the uniqueness of the love of God in Christ. And wherever we carry this, believers, uh, non-believers, uh, I work in countries where I talk a lot to atheists. They don't have any faith. They call themselves atheists. And, and, but what is appealing is that uniqueness that can bring real life to home to family, and then beyond family as well. For those listening, especially the men, the fathers, can you, can you give a, a summary teaching of what you mean by we as men are called to bring heaven home? Yeah. Um, I think we are um, finding ourselves as men and, and as fathers in mid-air between the emasculation of men, that is, we want to make men of the feminine side of men or whatever you want to call it, the emasculation of men. Yeah. And, and on the other hand, what I would call the monstrosity of power or where we exploited power where, and in South Africa, there's no other place, a better example than South Africa where a, a woman is killed every four hours of the day sure. in South Africa and uh, every four minutes of, of the day a woman is raped in South Africa. Oh, um, so we are the worst on the violence against women in the world. 
Yeah. So, so now, now this is the other end. The other end is this exploitation of power. Yeah. As if we were given by God a position of power. Now, we, we, were, we were given a position by power, but, but the position of power. But the position of power, and this is why the Bible is so important. If you read the position of power in the Bible, in the book of Revelations, it is a lamb. Wow. The sure. lamb is the symbol of power yeah. in the book of Revelations. Sure. And we must never forget that. Now, if you know that, and then you read the Gospels, then you understand the Gospel. And say, God gave me the headship of the house, and the Bible will never change its words, so that's what, what I am. I'm the head of the home. But then God also explains through Jesus, Luke chapter 22, what the head or the leader is. The head is a servant. So I'm the head servant of the house. So we must just complete the definition. Yeah. If we find a definition in the Bible, just complete it by what the Bible says. So, so I'm the head servant of the home. Now, that corresponds with the rest that you read in the Bible on, on, on the re responsibility of us as Christians, but definitely also counting the dad of the house. So I, I see myself as the head servant. I'm the first servant, and I hope that others would follow my example. That's the short of it. So good. Uh, I remember you saying that as men, we are like a spiritual air conditioner. We, we're supposed to bring that fragrance of heaven home. And, and it's, it starts with our own relationship with God and understanding who we are in Him. And then what His love means flowing through us to our wives, to our children. Uh, that is so powerful. And so uh, I, I would love to chat to you way more, but we're already over an hour. Um, I would love for you to to end off uh, with a, if you have what, whatever's on your heart, a message to South Africa, a message to the Church of South Africa. Um, if you could share that with us, please. Yeah. I, I think it is pretty obvious, not only because of COVID-19. Um, now, there are many, many worse things in South Africa, like some of the things I've mentioned. Yeah. Um, but that we are in tribulation. Don't think that tribulation will come one day after rapture, whatever your, your concept is about that, that Christians will be spared the tribulation. Uh, think again. We are in the last days, in tribulation. This is war. And if you don't know it is war, then you've got a serious problem because then you are safeguarded. Then you're in a comfort zone. We need to get to places where you, if, if you go where, where we work with, with gangsters, uh, ex-gangsters that got converted amongst the prospect gangsters to try and save them from gangsterism. If in South Africa, 2,000 young boys were killed in six months, more than in the Syrian war in the same time, and that happened two years ago, then we're in war. Then you're not, just at the right place. This is where we are. Yeah. This, is, wow. this is where we are. So if you now mix all of this, so gangsters that kill each other, young boys, they mm. wipe out a whole generation. Then the rape that we talk about, and then one out of four girls raped in South Africa by mostly family members, you know, in certain places. One, uh, certain places, only 20% with their biological, we can carry on and on. And, and, and the worst of times. Sure. That's where you started. Yeah. The worst of but uh, and but now, uh, the best of times. It is in the tribulation that in the book of Revelation that the martyrs 
uh, show up, where they really fight the battle uh, because of God's love. And they fight the battle not to attack the evil with the weapons of, uh, the, 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 of, 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 of darkness, but they do it with the weapons of light. Mm. And the most amazing weapon of light is that selfless, sacrificial love. This is what we need to have in our homes. This is what we have to exhibit. This is, this is what churches, when they look at Christians, they say, oh, the people with the unique love. Sure. So good. That is what they've got to say. And if we can get that message, uh, the situation in South Africa can turn. If we do not get that message, I'm sorry, there's nothing that will turn the situation in South Africa. It is selfless, sacrificial love is the only thing that will change the world. There is no other way. There is no other weapon. So true. Wow. I will say, Wumkasi, bye, donkey. That was really so powerful and encouraging and challenging. And I think such a timely word for for all of us, and especially the church in South Africa. I, I would like to ask you to end off by by praying for us as a nation and for us as the church of South Africa that, that this truth will will really settle in our spirits, that we will have the necessary conviction and then not just stay at the place of conviction, but actually start walking it out in our spheres of influence that we have. And then uh, when you're done, I will also end with a prayer. Thank you. Thank you. I'll try and pray a short prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we've invited your curse on this world because you promised that you will strike the land with a curse if the fathers are not with the children and the children with the fathers. Now we want to invite your blessing. Change the curse into blessing, Lord. Lord, yes. we see the evidence of a curse right across this continent of Africa, and not only Africa and beyond. Mm. Lord, we invite your blessing. Yes, Lord. And therefore, bring the fathers back to the children and the children to the fathers. But Lord, we know they can really just unite if they unite in your presence. Yes. Because you are the reconciliation figure. Your blood is the one that reconciles. Come with your authority, the authority of your word, the authority of your cleansing blood. Lord, come and heal yes. us first. Yes. Lord, come and reconcile us with you first, Lord. And then help us to reconcile with each other in uniqueness, in the uniqueness that you brought to this earth. Help us to reconcile. Lord, And we, we will not be able to love our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, our enemies, unless we are able to love each other mm. with the sincere uh, true, one and only true love, the love of God in our homes. And therefore, I pray this for every home in South Africa. And Lord, if we yes. start to point fingers and we say, if the politicians only, or if that only, that only, Lord, help us to start with us. Yes. So that, so that we can, from the ground level up, from the floor level, from the home level up, transform this nation south africa and i pray the same for the church lord lord in times where we cannot gather many people you have given us the greatest opportunity mm. that home can become church yeah and therefore i pray that all christians will experience home as church and that from that their local church will be sanctified yeah. and from that they will become the powerhouse the powerhouse meaning the power of the lamb house uh, for this nation and and that we will carry your love from from the and that the bride of Christ, the church, 
the bride, the true church, the bride of Christ, will will be that messenger yes. to to bring the message of the bridegroom Amen. to this yes. earth. Lord, we desire heaven on earth, mm. heaven at home. Give it to us, please. It is your desire. You died for that Jesus. Come now with your spirit and pour your spirit into us that by your spirit it will be done. Let your kingdom come on earth, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I want to thank you for this time. I want to thank you for for Cassie and his, his amazing heart for you, your kingdom, for, for the heart of fathers to turn to you so that they can turn to their children. I pray, Lord, that you will bless his ministry, bless his marriage and his family. And his and may the world needs a father just keep on reaching more people, more trainers, more fathers around the world. I thank you, Lord, that you will give them supernatural ability, supernatural open doors and access to the right places at the right time. I thank you, Lord, that even here in South Africa, this this message, this training, this mentorship will will reach more fathers, more homes. And Lord, I, I just stand in agreement that we will all step up and love well and bring heaven home as the fathers and the husbands of this nation. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was so pleasant. That was fantastic. That was awesome. Thank you so much. How can... I've, I've put the website on the screen and in the post um, for the World Needs a Father. Uh, is it as easy as people going up there, signing up, if they want to have the training at their church or their school or wherever? Uh, yeah. How can people get involved? How can they help you out? Yeah, anytime. Go to the website and, and they will have the link there and we will respond for sure. And okay. uh, it's not too difficult to find me, um, uh, you know. Uh, so uh, I have too many people that know me. Uh, so you can test them. <laughs> And, uh, and I'd love to personally talk to you. If, if uh, I, I don't shy away from that, I invite as many people as possible Wonderful. to interact with. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you and God bless you. And uh, I would like to ask people to keep praying for Cassie and for the world needs a father. I'm just going to greet them. Cassie, just hang on uh, just while I greet people here. Thank you so much for joining us today. You guys are awesome. Thank you for sticking it out uh, and listening to all of that. I think it was so powerful and so needed and so profound for us as the Church of South Africa. For And even if you maybe not be a believer and you've been listening to this, I, I really trust that you've been impacted in some way because this is truth. It may be challenging, but it's the truth spoken in love. And I think that's what's so powerful. So thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, just a quick reminder that you can still sign up for my wife and my uh, marriage seminar where we talk about marriage, uh, help you guide, help to guide you through maybe some challenging things that you are going through. We'd love to see marriages thrive. So you can still join us for that. Get your tickets on Quicker and join us live on Thursday nights. And thank you for everybody who's partnering with Love Key. Uh, we really appreciate your support. God bless you. Have a great day. And remember, God's love can unlock anything in your life. And it's the key, as we heard today, to bringing heaven home. God bless you and goodbye.